Well, good morning. If you're here in person or you're joining us online, uh, I'm so glad that you're here this morning. It's, uh, it's the Christmas season. We've been diving into what are your expectations for Christmas. And we're looking at the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and why Jesus had to come. And we've been looking at the different perspectives of the gospel writers. I love the word perspective. It's literally the lens through which we see things. If you talk about perspective in art, where are my art critics out there? You like a little art? Art is a good thing. I like to paint, believe it or not. And one of the things you do when you paint is you try to make things that are three-dimensional look three-dimensional on a flat piece of paper. That's what perspective is. It is the depth. It it is what brings out the contours. If you talk about perspective in film or perspective in a work of literature, it is the point of view. It is the lens through which you see things. We are looking at the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're looking at different perspectives. It is the lens through which you see. I hate to do this to my Purdue fans, but as I know, Purdue University was in the past ranked number one in basketball. Perhaps there is an already and not yet to come, but at any rate, uh, Purdue played Rutgers this week. How many of you saw that game? It was, a, it was a fantastic, exciting finish. Looked like Rutgers was going to win, then Purdue was going to win, and then the Rutgers kid hit an almost half-court shot to win the game. What was interesting, if you listen to the local Rutgers radio broadcast of the game, and you compared that to the Purdue broadcast, there were different perspectives. I won't try to repeat what was said, but you might imagine there was a lot more emotion, there was a lot more celebration in the perspective from Rutgers, a different response from Purdue. Different perspectives, same event. I want you to note that. Different perspectives, same truth, same reality. Now, this morning, we're going to look at the gospel through the lens, through the perspective of Mark. Last week, we looked at Matthew. As you might recall, Matthew was a tax collector. Jesus called the hated tax collector to record and write down a gospel. So there's a particular perspective, a particular lens that we saw through last week with Matthew. We're reminded that the answer to why did Jesus have to come was to fulfill God's plan. That Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one. That Jesus is God saves. And that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And then we had that little nugget of truth That in Matthew 28, when Jesus gives us the Great Commission, 
He says, go, make disciples, and I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be Emmanuel, God with us, even until the end of the age. Well, today we're looking at it from Mark's perspective. Let me give you a little bit of history about Mark. Most scholars believe that Mark is John Mark, cousin of Barnabas, Colossians 4.10. I'm going to rattle through some things. I want to give you some of the data points on Mark. John Mark, it's a Hebrew, John, Mark, Greek, Roman. You'll see it differently, but he was known as John Mark, son of Mary, not Mary, the mother of Jesus, but a prominent woman in the church. In Jerusalem, if you go back to Acts 12, there's a wonderful story where Peter is delivered from prison, and he will go back to Mary's house, and Rhoda, the servant girl, will answer, and they had all been praying for Peter's release. Peter is at the door. What does she do? She shuts the door and says, hey, Peter's here. You've got to be kidding me. There's no way he could be here. They've just been praying for his release, and he is there. Interesting the facts that the gospel writers include. It's known as the son of Peter, not the biological son, but a disciple of Peter. Many believe that it was Peter who discipled John Mark. Papias, one of the church followers, like 120 or so, lived in that time, recorded that Mark collected Peter's eyewitness account. John Mark had a relationship with the Apostle Paul that began when he was a helper in Salamis, proclaiming the word in the synagogues. But then there was a moment... When Paul continued, Paul wanted to sail out, but young Mark said, no, I'm not going to go. Paul left him behind. In many ways, Mark abandoned him, went back to Jerusalem. In a later missionary journey, Barnabas wanted to take Mark along. Paul said, no. I don't want him with me. The implication is that Mark had abandoned him earlier. Barnabas, the great encourager, stayed with Mark. Mark and Barnabas went one way. Paul and Silas went the other. And one of the beautiful little nuggets in the New Testament, 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul had a change of heart towards Mark and said, he is useful to me for service. So even in these little details, this perspective from Mark, we see a story of redemption and restoration, which I believe even influences the way perhaps Mark records the story. Now, before we dig in, I want us to think about the process in which this gospel was put together. We live in a strange time, my friends. That strange can take a lot of different forms. But I want to pause and and I want you to consider the time in which we're in. We live in an era of almost unlimited information. And a lot of time on our hands and a lot of easy access 
to information. Many in our community are going through a process of trying to get at the real story of things. How do I peel back the layers of truth? How do I get at what the Bible is really about? I know many who have perhaps grown up in church and they're looking back and they're saying, I don't know about my church experience. I have questions. Maybe there's some pain that I need to work through. That's the reality that some of you are going through and some of those you know and love are going through right now. It's a process. If you want to get fancy and pseudo-academic, you might say you are deconstructing your faith. As I hear that phrase, I'm reminded of... um, Purdue University once again. I was a graduate student and of all things English literature. My aspiration was to be a college professor. We studied deconstruction and all that stuff way back in the day before it was kind of mainstream and cool. The other job that I had at the time was I was a freelance writer. That sounds like really artistic. It was not. But I would write for encyclopedias. This is what, before this thing called the internet. There were these big buildings that had books in them. And there were these pieces of paper that you could write on and like put them in this little box and they'd go someplace else and then they would send you papers back. Do I need to explain this to anybody? But one of the publications that I wrote for was company histories. And I remember writing a company history for Papa John's. You could actually, don't do it right now, it'll distract you, but you could, I did it this morning, I googled Jason Gallman, Papa John's, lo and behold, there is the company history I wrote for Papa John's back in 1990-whatever. The reason I bring this up, I want, I want to make this point, when I would go and do that research, I would send away to the company and I would get back glossy histories of the company. Would I believe that everything that that was in that glossy, slick history was true? I would question some of those things. So I would want to get multiple sources, newspaper articles, other things to put that history together. Are you with me? As I think about how the Gospels are put together, there's a process of putting these things together and sorting them out, led by the Holy Spirit, using human gifting, using human processes, and working together in that. My friends, don't be alarmed by that at all. But let's acknowledge those, the Spirit working through Mark, working through Matthew, working through Luke, working through John to give us a unique perspective on Jesus. So what is the real story here? That's what many of us are trying to figure out. Why did Jesus come? Mark's answer, very simple. Jesus came 
to proclaim the gospel. So let's dive in. Let's start with Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is not a genealogy in the way Matthew will start. Luke will give us a genealogy. This is a bold victory celebration and declaration. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does the word gospel mean? It is good news. It is a declaration of victory. When the Roman army would would defeat somebody, there would be a gospel declaring that they had won. That's what the word means. But Mark's declaration of the good news is done in enemy territory. I'm reminded of a fall day in 1987 when I saw Indiana University play at Ohio State University. And who won the game? Our beloved Hoosiers. I was one of a handful of people on the field celebrating, tearing down the goalposts. We were declaring victory, but it was in enemy territory. It's a perspective. Now, when Mark makes this declaration, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that is a bold declaration. It is saying that Jesus has won the battle. Jesus is the Christ. He's the one. He fulfills the story. Jesus is the Son of God, and Caesar is not. That's the declaration. This is a, we've had lots of history. We soften these things over time, but this is the declaration of victory. Now, Mark's going to jump right into things, and I am uh, putting this together as Mark's highlights of Jesus. And he's going to give us three highlights to see, headlines to understand, and then hope to experience and share. It is a fast ride. Let me give you the first highlight. Number one, let me take you to Mark 1-2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appearing baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down. And untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In these days Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Our highlight, Jesus' baptism. Continuing in verse 10, And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. So our headline, Jesus is the Son of of God. Jesus is the Son 
of God. We see in this a beautiful picture of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit descending like a dove. Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us in the Jordan amongst the throngs of people being baptized. Imagine that for a minute. The same river Jordan that Joshua would have crossed into the promised land. This is a place of history. This is a place of profound movement, transformation in God's people. And here Jesus is in the dirty water amongst all the sin of the people being baptized. So the highlight, Jesus is baptized, is being baptized. The headline, Jesus is the Son of God. And there is a hope that says Jesus has the authority to rescue you. If Jesus is the Son of God, now who else was known as the Son of God in this time? Caesar. It's the way they would describe it. To say that Jesus is the Son of God, again, is to say that Caesar is not. The hope is that Jesus has the authority to rescue you. Now, as we continue on this highlight reel, as we watch the film together, we move from Jesus having this mountaintop experience, and right away, things change. Jesus is directed, Jesus is sent into the wilderness to be tempted. Highlight number two, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. Verse 12, the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now, what happens in the wilderness? Mark only gives us like a couple sentences. We have to go into the other Gospels to see some of the more, some more detail. Satan will say things, if you are the son of God, then, cast, then turn these stones into bread. If, if you are the son of God, throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple. Bow down and worship me, Satan will say. Jesus will win the battle. The headline, Jesus wins. Jesus defeats sin, Satan, and death. Now, that's the headline. What's the hope? Jesus is with you in the battle. Jesus is with you in the battle. What I love about the way Mark presents this is we have side by side the mountaintop, heaven's open, the kingdom is here, and then we have attack. Is that not the picture of our lives many times as followers of Jesus? When God's kingdom is present, when God's work is moving forward, there is attack. When God is working, when the kingdom is advancing, Satan will attack. 
He will divide. He will discourage. He will distort. Now, how do you deal with that? Two ways to avoid attack. One, don't do anything for Jesus. I'll just be blunt. Don't do anything for Jesus. Don't do anything to advance the kingdom, and you probably won't get attacked. Now, that doesn't mean if you do dumb, stupid things. Anybody been there? There won't be consequences to that. As we are advancing, as we are building the kingdom, as we are working for Jesus, though, what is the pathway against attack? Trust and obey. It's prayer, it's trust, it's obedience. It's putting on the full armor of God. It's praying. It's acknowledging that Jesus is with us in the battle. That's the hope. Highlight number three. Jesus proclaims the gospel. Verse 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. What is the headline? The kingdom has arrived. The kingdom has arrived. God's will, God's rule has arrived. The kingdom is not just something far off in the distance. The kingdom is now. The kingdom is here. That is the headline. What's the hope? The hope is that the good news is available to you today. The good news is available to you today. Now, let's talk about that. Let's talk about repent and believe in the gospel. I'm going to give you some truth right now. How about that? Are you ready? Are you with me? Are you ready to receive? That's my question to you this morning. Are you ready to receive what God has for you through his word? Now, really interesting when you look at the book of Mark. If you got your Bible with you, go to Mark 16. If you got that phone thing that your Bible, go ahead and go to it. Go to Mark 16. I'm going to read it to you because I, 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 think, I, think Mark, I think the Holy Spirit deliberately uses these different writers to give us different perspectives and to reveal different facets of the diamond of the gospel. Now, Mark has given us a highlight reel, all this action, boom, 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 highlight, headlight, hope. And then we go to Mark 16, we go to the end, verse 1, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? 
And looking up, they saw the stone, that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. I want you to stop there. What's it say in your Bible right there? This is what it says in mine. Some of the earliest manuscripts do not include verses 9 through 20. How many of you have something like that in your Bible? That's, I'm like, this is how Mark ends it? Now, there's, as you might imagine, there's all kinds of debate. Where, you know, this other stuff, was it added? Who wrote it? Da, da, da. I'm not getting into that. I want to I, I I work with this idea that what if the gospel ends right here? What if Mark's story ends right here? What does he have to communicate to us through this? Now, we know from the other gospels, we know that the story will not end here. Amen? But what's the picture that Mark gives us? What are they doing? They're afraid. They're afraid. If, if I'm Mark and I'm, I'm getting this story from Peter and I'm going to put, I'm going to write all this stuff down, how does this make Peter look? How does this make the early church look? It's kind of embarrassing. What do you do with that? I say, that's a real story. They're not covering over things. Are you with me on this? This is a real story. This is Peter. This is the one who would deny Jesus. I don't know about you, but this gives me hope. This gives me confidence that this is not the company history that's just been glossed over. Are you with me here? We're at a time when everybody's trying to say what's real, what's authentic, what's true. Let's go. My friends, this is a true story. If you're wrestling with this, you got friends who are wrestling with this, the fact that these things are included and even the, as they put the Bible together, they kept this in. This is real. When I see things like this and I see that Peter wasn't perfect, when I see that the disciples had to be told over and over again, I'm like, I can relate to these people. Not only that, but the story is true because they didn't try to cover over the stuff that was embarrassing. It's not the glossy company history. It's a real story. Now, that's a good thing. That's the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel, the good news, the good news that Jesus defeated the power of sin and death and rescues all who believe in him. Amen? That's a real story. Now, 
For news to be good, it has to be in the context of something that is bad. Rescue you from what? Well, I'm an all right guy. I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm in the second or third quartile, but I'm not the worst. What do I need to be rescued from? Well, if Satan is real, if sin is real, and death is real, then there is also the reality of eternal separation from God. Hell is a reality. That's a whole nother sermon on what that looks like, and there's lots of ways we mess that up when we talk about it. But there's an urgency to the gospel, there's an urgency to Mark, there's a right now that says, repent and believe in the good news of Jesus. That says there's a reality to eternal separation from God. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. What does it mean to repent? It's to change my mind. It's to turn around. It's to say, I used to believe this, and I'm going to turn around. Now I believe differently. I used to put myself at the center. Now I put Christ at the center. I used to believe this, but now I believe this. I used to believe that maybe Jesus was on the periphery, that Jesus was my consultant, that Jesus is a stream of counsel and advice. Now I say Jesus is at the center, at the core, that the good news of the gospel changes everything, everything. To repent, to believe, to believe is to put my, my trust, my confidence, my whole self. And believe. To believe that the story is true. Now, Mark's answer. Why did Jesus come? To proclaim the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's Mark's message to us. Now, how will you respond today? How will you respond? I said it last week, and I'm going to say it again. Some of you may say, I'm going to reject that. I'm going to reject that. But here's what I would challenge you to do. Make sure you know what you are rejecting. Do the hard work. Peel back the layers. Don't just say all the layers of hypocrisy of people who claim to follow Jesus. If that's there, there's some reality to that. That doesn't mean the core truth is not true. Know what you're rejecting. Take the time. Some of you may say, I have accepted that. I believe it. And I know it's true. I know it's true. I have repented. I believe. I've, I'm, I'm, I'm working to put Jesus at the center. I'm working to give him more and more of my life. Be encouraged this morning. 
to know that it's true. And it's a real story. And Jesus is with you. Jesus has given you that victory. Let's live in that. And part of the challenge at the end of the mark, mark is to, to, they're afraid, but he's going to say, go share, don't be afraid. Jesus is one. If you can see that good news clearly, then we can also share it. And some of you may say, you know what, I want to I take some time to consider it. I want to take some time to consider it. And at some level, that's okay, but um, we are a people of procrastination. Anybody with me on that? That seems to be a default of human nature to procrastinate. I'm going to put this, I'm going to put this off. Tomorrow. Let me give it some thought. Let me wait till I feel a little bit better. The great evangelist uh, D.L. Moody, I'm going like old school history for you today. And I'm not pulling any punches because I love you too much. 1871, D.L. Moody gives this sermon. He's preaching. And he says, uh, you know what? I want you to go home. And I want you to take a week to consider the truth of the gospel. He said, I want you to go home and take a week to consider. As he's saying that, the city is burning to the ground. And many who were in that audience lost their life. And Moody says, I will never have an opportunity. Now, I'm not one who tends to like emotionally pressure you but I just felt led to say this this morning there is an urgency to the gospel there's an urgency there's a right now to what Mark is saying so if you have not ever put your faith and trust in Christ today's the day right now is the time it's too important it's too important repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning and we come in hope. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that you have given it to us through the gospel writers. And I pray specifically right now, if there is someone who has not yet put his or her faith or trust in Christ, that today would be that day. And the response is simple. It can start with, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. But it's a confession that simply says, I confess with my mouth that Jesus, you are Lord, and I believe in my heart, Jesus, that you were raised from the dead. And I pray that that would be true for somebody here today. For those of us who have made that decision, lead us, guide us into greater obedience. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, my friends, as we reflect on what God is teaching us through his word, We remember what Jesus did for us. 
And one of the ways we say, yes, I believe that this is true, is we come to the communion table together. And we remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And after giving thanks, he said, this is my body broken for you. Take eat, do this in remembrance of me. So as followers of Jesus, may we receive the bread together. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup. He says, this blood, this cup represents my blood, blood that will be shed for the forgiveness of sins. Just as you receive the bread, may we receive the cup together. Let us pray. Father, as we reflect on your words, as we reflect on their urgency, remind us of your goodness, remind us of your grace. Remind us that why we were yet sinners, why we were far from you, why we were separated from you, you sent your son Jesus to us to die for us on the cross. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.